This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode about Mac hardware, or rather non-Mac hardware. This week we're going to switch gears a little. Uh, For better or worse, we're going to weigh in with our thoughts on Swift versus Objective-C, and we discuss the new free trials that were announced at WWDC. That is, if you can really call them free trials. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. Okay, so the last couple of weeks I've noticed around Twitter there's been quite a bit of conversation about Swift versus Objective-C, so we thought it'd be a pretty good point for us just to see where we sit on the issue. I've obviously got my own thoughts. Uh, Dave, where where, where are you right now? Because I guess you're coding Swift quite a lot in the day job. That's a pretty fair assessment, to be honest. Um, So yeah, I've been, if I think about it, been coding 100% Swift now for the last couple of years, really, sort of overall. I started migrating the engine that that underpins my VJ app, GoVJ, um, a couple of years back now, over to Swift 2 at the time. Um, A lot of that code base is still Objective-C, and it's a testament to the fact that I've not really done a lot to update it in the last year, that it's still (laughs) sort of over in (laughs) Objective-C. Moving country does that to you. Um, But no, I'll be be heading back into it, I think, soon. Yeah, at PaperKite, I'm very much Swift pretty much day in, day out. We've we've had a couple of projects that are older, that were Objective-C code bases. Um, That was interesting. It's been a while since I sort of did any of those projects but when I did it felt very much kind of like um, going back in time quite a bit because it literally is <laughs> in terms of how I'm sort of approaching things these days uh, but equally if, if I'm honest actually once I've been on, on one of those projects for a couple of days um, a lot came flooding back so some of this I think is is about familiarity I think on both sides of the fence in terms of how people are you know oh I I really don't like Swift, I love Objective-C, and you'll never get me over to, to Swift. I see a lot of those sort of attitudes from a few, especially Mac developers. I mean, I don't want to stereotype, but it does sort of seem to be people who've been with the platform for much longer. Um, you know, I see, see those guys being really dead set on keeping Objective-C, and I can understand it because, yeah, if that is where you've stayed for all this time, then then that's the thing you're going to feel most comfortable in. And it's comfortableness and familiarity that means you're quick and you're good at what you do, you know, because you're doing it so much. So, yeah, I guess I can kind of see see the other side. But for me, I'm very much over in the swift side of the camp these days. How, how about you, Dave? Um, I don't know. I mean... I tend to glaze over a little bit when I start seeing these giant, you know, say arguments, discussions, we'll call them, on Twitter when people go back and forth on it. It seems, from what I've seen anyway, it seems that the thing that tends to fan the flames is when people refer to Swift as being easier. Um, okay. That seems yeah. like that seems like the one thing that will start an argument or discussion uh, pretty quickly. I mean, I guess my experience, and this is just my experience, but... When I was starting iPhone development, I got a book on learning Objective-C. And on the first page, I think I think it said something like, before you get into this, you should probably also know a bit of C um, before you start this book. And there was a link to their book about C. So I was like, oh, damn it, I don't know C. So I went, I went and got the book on C. I thought I better just start with that to get a foundation. Then I can move on to Objective-C. So I went through the basics, and then I started going back into the Objective-C book. 
and I can remember really, really clearly looking at Objective C and just being like, "What the hell is this?" Um, <laughs> I, I used, I used to kind of joke that it felt so dissimilar to C. They, you know, they might as well have called it like Objective B or, or something because it just felt so foreign. Um, mm. I mean, that, those square brackets—they just really messed with my head for quite a long time. Now, on the other hand, I can see why people say that Swift is easier kind of in air quotes um it feels feels friendlier i think probably a lot of that's got to do you know the way it is syntactically it's a lot more kind of dot syntaxy which is certainly in my case it works with my head a bit better um yep. but i can certainly say in my case had swift been there from day one there would have been a lot less friction getting going in ios development in the first instance no, I think it's unfair just to say, well, Swift's easier. And it's kind of like a little soundbite that you hear from Apple a little bit as well. The fact that yeah. Swift is, you know, trying to make making apps easier. And I think that's what gets people riled up. Um, but I think in terms of going from sort of zero to being like on the way to being an iPhone developer, I found there to be a lot more hurdles going the Objective-C route versus how I think it would be if if I was starting right now because if I was starting right now I would start with Swift I would probably have Swift Playgrounds as well because um, there's, yep. there's quite a big resource ecosystem around Swift as well that I think it's fair to say wasn't there um, in the days when I started trying to learn Objective-C so yeah I think just in terms of pain points and getting going quickly Swift probably is a little bit easier in my case it would have been um, I'm trying to think what I was kind of coding in the time at the time that wasn't sort of Apple stuff, Java, I suppose. And I think if you were, obviously they're all very different languages, but if you were to liken Swift to Java, it's more like Java than Objective C is to Java, if that makes sense. Just in the way it kind of looks syntactically yeah. and stuff. Um, obviously, I appreciate they're very very different, but just going from one to the other, it might have been a little bit easier for me to move from Java to Swift than Java to Objective-C, if that's making any kind of sense. Um, that does. So yeah, I, I can kind of see that point. I think Swift in that sense is a really good thing. Um, if yeah, if and, it can get people going quickly. I, w- I kind of wish it had been around when I started, if that makes makes sense. No, I, I agree. I mean, I don't actually hold with the arguments of Swift being difficult to learn, to be honest. Um, I think it might be difficult to master, you know, I think there's, there's certainly something that, like, there's, there's levels to Swift. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think that's actually why I really love it, because for me, I'm, I'm sort of getting a sense of progression with my mastery of the language over time. Um, and I also think that that bottom level, if you like, of just sort of, you know, uh, hello world, you, you sort of level up from that and, and kind of my first playground sort of stuff. Um I think it's actually quite accessible. Um, I mean, my my eldest lad, he's he's nearly twelve, and we set up a playground a few months back. He just wanted like this sort of random string generator um, because he was making um, custom transformers, like making them up and then drawing what they would look like. Because he really loves transformers, um, so he put the attributes in of, of the the robots that he wanted to have and, and colors and, and names and this that and the other. And we made a playground that randomly generated what he wanted. And, okay, there's a lot of bias here because he's got a dad who's programming in Swift day in, day out. You know, I'm sort of sat there with him, sort of helping him set stuff up. 
Um, but when he got his head around the sort of initial um, setup of what we were doing, and he then wanted to just go and like you know add another attribute it came really naturally to him to just sort of copy and paste what he'd um, done already, edit it out. And I really didn't need to help him that much. And some of that is that the, um, I could sort of see some of the code completion was potentially kind of helping a little bit there as well. Um, sort of keeping the, the rails on, if you like, which you could get from any language I know. Um, but I think also he just got it and it wasn't really that awful for him to sort of pick up at all. And, I certainly don't think it was any more difficult than the Python programming we've tried to do or anything like that. So when I see Swift being argued as being difficult to learn, I kind of think, well, um, compared to what and what type of Swift and what level, right? Because if you're talking about just making something work and kind of getting your head around, you know, 101 sort of programming concepts, then I don't think Swift is any more difficult to learn than anything else. And I actually think it's probably easier than a lot of other things as well overall. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can see the argument that it's difficult to master, but I can't see the argument that it's difficult to learn, you know. And, but I also think that it, it scales really nicely. So that, that mastery, it comes in levels, it comes in waves. You know, there's things that I'm doing now that are better than I was doing a year ago and the year before that. And some of that is just down to experience and some of that is also down to the concepts that I've learned over the last 18 months, two years have been sort of like, it's like Russian dolls, you know, you learn one thing and then you're like, oh, okay, I can apply that here. And, ah, right, okay, so protocols uh, open up dependency injection for me and that links in with then doing things like unit testing and that sort of stuff. You know, I can think off the top of my head of all these these concepts that sort of interlink with each other and some of them are programming principles but some of them are also enabled by the, the language itself unfolding as I get deeper into it as well. Um, so I don't know. I, I Yeah, I, I think Swift has got a lot of power. Um, I think it is also fair to say that Apple oversell it, um, mm. which I, I guess they kind of have to. Um, and I have to wonder as well, the thing that I wonder within all of this is, well, Objective-C hasn't gone yet. And the question I wonder is, okay, so how long has it got? You know, really, what, when are we sort of looking at Apple kind of making the big declaration and Objective-C is essentially completely deprecated and on its way out? I think that's actually quite a long way down the line. Yeah, I would, if I had to guess, I would say probably five years plus. At least, yeah. Yeah, and I, th I think just like we've got within core foundation, there are still sort of C primitives and things like that lurking around over there. I think that there's, there's going to be quite a lingering effect of Objective-C being around as well within all the APIs that we have to use. I mean, the thing that kind of pushed me to, to learn it or sort of pursue it properly was that whenever I, there came a point where if you were to Google something to do with iPhone development, you would normally get an Objective-C kind of blog post tutorial example type thing. And yep. over time, I noticed that Swift kept creeping in. And then now more often than not, it's kind of like the the resources are kind of what I would call Swift first. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's like the, the examples are led with Swift in mind. I mean, sometimes there'll be like a click here for the Objective-C version, but it's kind of like, I don't know, it just feels like now is probably the time if you, you know, to, to start learning Swift if you haven't already. 
Um, I think so. And it's clearly the direction Apple wants you to go as well. So it's like, you know, you're going to be on the right side of whatever happens there as well. Very, very much. And I think two years ago, um, when I sort of started going into Swift properly, sort of day in, day out, it was around sort of Swift 2. And resources at that time still sort of felt quite split, actually, if I think about it. Um, I was running into a lot of tutorials that were, uh, for some things, there, there was only an Objective-C tutorial because the Swift ones just hadn't been written yet. And um, Stack Overflow, for example, would have a lot of Swift 1 code, which was clunky in comparison to Swift 2 code. Uh, so that that was kind of tricky as well. You know, I'd sort of copy and paste bits in, mess around with them, tweak them, and then also have to sort of do the code conversion from Swift 1 to Swift 2. These days, what I tend to find is if I'm finding snippets of code or bits to sort of help me around a problem, um, you quite often have like, on Swift 2, it's like this. And then there's a further comment on Swift 3, it's like this. And yeah. Swift 4 as well. And and the co-compatibility between Swift 3 and 4 means that a Swift 3 answer is usually good enough to kind of help point the way. So, yeah, I think with each successive version of Swift, um, this, this sort of scaling and kind of, I don't know, the, the gap between each version has is, is just not been quite so, so harsh. So so these days, I, I definitely feel like all the resources out there are just so much better, um, certainly mm. than they were two years back. And I imagine that line of travel is just going to continue. So, yeah, now is kind of the time to hop on, I think, really. You know, it's, it's good enough. It really is. Mm. I think the point I keep circling back to but when I see these discussions flare up on Twitter is that you know, the user doesn't care what language you, you've used at all. No. Um, I mean, other programmers barely care about the language that you used. I mean, they're very interested in the language they're using, I'm sure, but they probably don't care what you used. Um, I guess the takeaway for me is, you know, if, you, if you're going to get bent out of shape over, over one language or another, I maybe take that kind of same level of passion and energy and apply it to solving kind of real problems for real users and making really great apps. And, and yeah. whatever language you use, that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if if you're an indie, you want to use Objective C. By all means, it's just that's up to you. As the user's not going to know. Um, no. If you work for someone, just use what you're told to use. Um, go crazy on your own time. If you if you're told to use Objective C in the day job, I mean, go crazy in the evenings and the weekends on Swift. By all means. Um, yeah, and if you hate it that much, migrate somewhere else that's doing yeah. Swift. I think the key thing is, um, yeah, I, I can see why kind of people that are involved in the development of programming languages probably need to have these discussions. I think about me as, an, as like an indie, besides just making sure I'm on, on the right track for the long term, I don't really think I need to get too too involved. Uh, I think I need to just stay focused on sort of solving problems and solving and making great apps. Because um, if I don't do that, doesn't matter what language I've used, this I'm gonna have a rubbish app. So free trials. Do mm. we have them or don't we have them? I, I would say no, but you know. Yeah. What what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> it was an update to the App Store guidelines, wasn't it? That that kind of implied that, that free trials had sort of been allowed. Yeah. So what it's um it's basically like you can have a free trial in-app purchase yep um so when when i kind of look at it it seems just essentially like a bit of a hack of the in-app purchase system um i don't really think it addresses 
the the need that a, a proper free trial would address because um, this still requires that your user goes to the app store, find your app, which in my experience can also be a challenge, um, download the app, unlock the in-app purchase, and then when it runs out, when the free trial in-app purchase runs out, hopefully then go on to a paid in-app purchase. I mean, all of those steps I just see as like, you know those graphs you get in Google Analytics where you see the visitor drop off on each page of your site? <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah. by the time they've got to like the fourth page, like most of your visitors are just, are just gone and only a very small percentage make it all the way through. I'm kind of yeah, seeing it like that in my head. That. I think so, and I think it's uh, it's actually a bit weird kind of what that then leads to you having to do as a developer. I mean, this is actually an admission of, of kind of what some people have been doing already. You know, there are apps out there in the store that already try and do this, and it yeah. kind of feels like Apple sort of made that that route um, official. I think the language is something along the lines of non-subscription apps may offer a free time time-based trial period before presenting a full unlock option by setting up a non-consumable IAP item at price tier zero that follows the naming convention, um, and they give the example 14-day trial. So it's kind of like, okay, if you make that non-consumable IAP um, in App Store Connect, as it's called now, Um, and you follow that format of name, they're not going to reject you from the app store for doing it. That that kind of feels essentially like the spirit of it, as far as I understand it. Yeah, and that that kind of got me thinking, actually, in what you just said, in the, going back to what I was saying about, you know, the user's got to find the app, download the app, unlock the free trial, then hopefully you can move on to a pay trial once a free trial runs out. Well, maybe given, maybe there's a way that Apple could kind of help us out a bit in the app store. So given what you just said about the way we you need to give um, specific details about the in-app purchase in order to kind of make it flag as a free trial, essentially. Yeah. I wonder, is there anything that could be done inside the app store to kind of help users along? So maybe like when they download the app, it says in the app store, this is like a free trial app and you download it and the free trial is already on the go. And there's some indication that yeah, users know that they're kind of downloading an app that's in trial mode. I think they could. They absolutely could, but I think that is an awful lot more work for them than than they really seem willing to put in. Because this this feels more like they've just changed a guideline, and this means that you're not going to get rejected if you do this this kind of workaround. But the effort is all externalized from Apple to the dev. Yeah, you know, this this just means that they're guys who who boot up our apps um, to to review them. Um, are not going to fail you if you're doing this. Whereas before, I think there were certain circumstances when people were getting failed for doing this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find this really frustrating because I look at this and I think, well, okay, I can't use this on my app that's currently a paid upfront app. Um, And actually, I don't really want to mess with the payment model right now. I mean, we've talked back and forth way back in the past and I was thinking about trying something different. Um, but for the moment, it, it's kind of ticking over reasonably well, sort of week on week, month on month. And I actually worry that if I change the model too much, I'm just going to lose the sort of fragment that I've got already with it. Yeah. Um, this doesn't give me a, a anything. Like I can't give this to a user and sort of say, hey, there's a free trial, because for them, there's not. They, they've got to pay up front first. And I would actually have to become freemium, essentially, to do this. Um, so it's kind of... Like I say, I sort of feel like this is it's an admission to sort of not rejecting people for things they were doing already. So that's, I guess, okay. Um, and then 
you know, if you think there's any sort of further depth as to what Apple have done here, it's actually quite a nudge towards the freemium model. You know, it's like, okay, well, if you want a free trial, here's how you do it. You do an in-app purchase, and then your your pro upgrade after that is another in-app purchase. So you're instantly in this sort of freemium kind of position, which I don't know. I mean, I guess if Apple are not really wanting people to do paid up front or to migrate across to subscription and freemium and, and, and that, then... I guess that means that they feel that there's not really an awful lot of money for them there. I think it's debatable as to whether it suits the apps. You know, like in my case, it doesn't suit my app. I don't feel it suits my app to be freemium right now. And I'm sort of thinking about a pro version of the app. And again, freemium feels kind of the wrong model. Um, but I guess across the board, sort of en masse, the numbers that Apple have got are sort of pointing them towards, well, okay, freemium works really well subscriptions work really well in terms of the revenue that they get back but then when you think about it both freemium and subscription have a have like a road in where you can try before you buy even even freemium without this new free trial hack was kind of try before you buy anyway because you could generally get a feel for what the app could do out of the box without any in-app purchases yeah and then as long as the in-app purchases were clearly explained you kind of already have a feel for the app anyway so you can kind of project what this in-app purchase is going to do for your app so that kind of is try before you buy in the same way i mean subscriptions have a a free trial anyway yes so both of those have got inroads so if apple have got data saying well all the money's in freemium and subscription but not in paid up front or maybe maybe that's why because there is no sort of try before you buy inroad for paid up front yeah um and maybe if there were that data would change drastically i don't know i mean this free trial thing, it doesn't really solve the issue of free trials, in my view, um, nor does it go anywhere near solving kind of uh, upgrade pricing either. I think if yep. those two could be rolled together, as in a proper free trial in the App Store and upgrade pricing, I think that could be a really neat solution to breathe some life back into paid up front. Yeah, but very much. I, I, don't, I don't want to be like too negative about it because maybe you could say that kind of this is just Apple's solution to free trials. Um, they've kind of put all the F, you know, put all the the pressure on the dev to make it work without them having to really do anything. Um, yeah. Like you say, essentially all they're doing is just not going to reject you now. So rather than looking at it as, well, this is Apple's final solution, time to move on, maybe this is a hint that Apple is willing to move in this direction. And it would be kind of like a, a typical Apple thing to do. They kind of like move a little bit and then maybe next WWDC we see them move a little bit more in that direction. Um, yeah. Hopefully all the way in that direction. That would be great. Um, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there's more more to come. I hope so. And I wonder if Marzipan can play a role. I kind of blogged about it in the week, but to briefly summarise, if Marzipan is going to allow kind of like a parity of features in apps that are across Mac and iOS, that by definition kind of means that we could get more powerful iOS apps, iPad especially. I think I yep. mentioned uh, we're talking about this new app I'm making. Whenever I design an iPad screen, it ends up looking very, very similar to the Mac screen. On that basis, if iPad apps especially, and maybe iPhone apps, can become more powerful, people might be willing to pay more, which then could place a heavy emphasis on the need for there being real free trials. And if that kind of pressure starts affecting the iOS app store, Apple's kind of favourite child, we might actually see some movement on the issue. Who knows? I don't know. But it it could be good timing in that Apple have already moved a little bit right now. And maybe next year they'll be willing to move a little bit further. And also next year will kind of be when Marzipan starts to rear its head properly. 
Yes. Um, potential alignment of the stars there, maybe. I hope. <laughs> I really, I really hope so because I'd, I'd like to be considering things like um, updating my video mixing app to have a sort of pro version that is, is that next stage. You know, it becomes a, an iPad app and a Mac app and uses Marzipan to facilitate that. Um, at that point. I don't know. The, the The payment model is something I'm still kind of churning in my head. See, um, I think your app's perfect for paid up front because your app is one of those apps that is very niche and it solves a problem, a specific yep. problem. That's the kind of app that surely your audience is willing to just pay some money for. Yeah, and that, that seems to hold true. Yeah, but the issue is your audience might hesitate and or look elsewhere for free alternatives because they're not sure if your app is maybe as good as it might look. Yes. But if there was a big try button next to it, (laughs) and after like two weeks it said, hey, really sorry, your trial's over, hope you've enjoyed the app, click here to pay, I don't know what it costs, but click here to pay for it, that would solve all of your issues. Pretty much. Um, And and at that point as well, uh, I think I could actually get away with charging a little more because of that sort of, well, okay, they, they know they're, they're going to get the full use out of it. You know, they've had it in their hands. They can play with it. Um, in my case, it allows people to mix video to, to go and use um, live to perform. So they may well have actually taken it to a real venue, hooked it up to stuff and, and had that sort of play. Um, yeah, I mean, as it stands, uh, there's there's a cap on how much you can charge, I think, mentally for people to sort of pay, um, pay up front even when it's something they really want and they know it's going to sort of do the things that they want it to do. Um, it's all hypothetical until they're actually using the app. And at the moment there's a cap on what I can, char- on what I can charge. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you know, who's going to turn around and, and part with um, just for example, 20, 25 pounds on the spot for something that may or may not do what they want. You know, it's a big ask actually. Uh, whereas, yeah, if they've had it in their hands for a while, um, they then go to use it. And the free trial that they knew they were getting when they first clicked the button, because that was the button they pressed, you know, when they go to then use the app and, and it sort of says, oh, by the way, you need to now buy this. Um, it's a very different scenario. Um, oh, the mental uh, process there is so different, isn't it? Yeah. Especially yeah, so is. in your case, because what you said there about them using it for doing live video you know just the fact that you're doing a live performance is is quite a lot of pressure on you as the performer isn't it yeah so once you found a tool that you know works really well for you and you've kind of become familiar with it that has a massive value in itself i mean if you had a pop-up that said oh great the trial's over hope you like it um 29.99 to pay for it it's kind of like well the discussion in your head is like well okay i know it works and i had a really good performance the other night using it and I've got lots more sort of in the pipeline. Um, yep. So really twenty nine ninety nine for a tool that allows me to do my job, really not that bad. But again, if you were to just see like twenty nine ninety nine in the app store, you'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, that's quite a lot of money to stump up without even knowing. I mean, this might crash on launch for all they know. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, or just like, it's just like the screenshots, even though they were genuine screenshots, they just may not have conveyed the the what, what's the word i'm looking for the flavor of the app kind of the way the app is yep. really when you use it not through like you being like malicious and sort of misleading people but it just might be that people get the wrong idea and then that just creates a whole bad situation 
exactly yeah and, and you know that happens actually i've had people who have downloaded the app and say okay well it is a good app it does what i need it to do but and the but is that they don't like the interface for one reason or another and you know, in some cases that's meant i've been able to tweak a couple of things and mm-hmm. awesome that they've, they've stayed along for the ride and in a couple of cases people have actually asked for refunds from apple and got them yeah um you know, I mean, that's that's fair enough. I would rather that they didn't have to ask for a refund. I would rather that they could just have that sort of free trial that's that's done through the App Store. Um, and then, you know, they either walk away or they then convert to a sale at that point. I think th- there is an argument. Okay, there's an argument there to say, well, you know, you could do that with freemium and you could do that with, with what they've given you now. Um, I could have a 14-day trial for pro mode as, a, as an in-app purchase, and then I could have a pro unlock in-app purchase as well. Um, but I guess part of my resistance as well is that I just don't want to have to administrate it. I'd rather that, that I could just tick the box to allow a 14-day trial in App Store Connect and Apple deal with everything else. You know, to, to my mind, that's that's part of their 30% cut. You know, if they, if, they, if they want to earn that 30%, allowing me to just kind of do that as a dev, get move on with my life and offer that out to my customers, that, that would justify some of that 30% quite well. Um, and so, yeah, I think, think there is an argument there on the high-end sort of side of the apps for, well, come on, Apple, pull your weight. You know, upgrade pricing and trials in this sort of sense is something that they should be able to support through the app store um yeah at the moment it's it's just not quite where i'd like it to be um i guess i've got a decision to make over the next six months the next year depending on whether i actually put any effort into to building the app out to being this pro app or not you know what am i going to do with with my payment options um and there's almost a, a part of me that feels like, well, okay, if it's going to take me quite a while to get there, then am I going to sort of sit there this time next year with the app pretty much ready to go, and I'm actually going to see what happens, you know, at dub dub 2019, <laughs> sort of make that decision, and that that feels a bit frustrating and a bit weird. It might not um, be a bad call though. No, and, and I mean the, the other side of it is that if I go sooner than that and I, I hitch my wagon to a freemium model. Um, and then free trials come out afterwards. Yeah, how do I migrate people from from one to the other as well? Because then I've got people who are on a freemium model where they've bought an in-app purchase who I now need to convert into paid-up-front customers, essentially. Yeah. Um, there, there's no, yeah, there's no good solution, um, and that's that's part of the problem as well. If if I go freemium, then that's pretty much it. Yeah, it has to stay in that kind of model because otherwise, you know, what do I do about people who've already sort of bought it in one form or another? Um, I, yeah. Might not be a bad idea sitting tight until dub dub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually I've think if I want ideas. to get the app to, to the position that it holds in my head as I would like it, it is going to take that long, if not a little longer, to sort of yeah. get there because it's, it's a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Um I, like I say, I would just rather that uh, that we got something from Apple that lets us just do this as a turnkey thing, but potentially provide some of those routes for migration off old models as well. Um, but I think it's probably going to be pushing our luck, really, to see it. 
Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot.com.